Emily and Peter are not here. Hello and welcome to Not Here. We are a weekly pod, bi-weekly podcast with uh, me, I'm Emily, and Peter's back there. And we, uh, we podcast about our life living in China and making videos and stuff. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what we do. Um, this week is not a video. But I started trying acupuncture for my allergies because I read that was a thing to do. How often is that? Like, I mean, we hear about it for back pain. Yeah. But yeah. I've never actually heard about it for allergies. Well, actually, my mom looked it up because when I was home in America over the summer, this gets into some the medical reads. But so in China, they have loretidine. They do not have loretidine D, which is the thing that I need. So when I was in America, I got a doctor's note to bring a year's worth over to China. Because the reason I needed the note is because the decongestant is stuff that you make meth out of. So it's it's regulated both in America and in China. Sweet But it is the thing that works for my allergies. And I was explaining to my mom who was skeptical, not that I would make meth, but that just my my claim that the Chinese don't have allergies, but she looked it up and they have allergies at a much lower rate than Europeans and Americans do. Um, no data on Africans. Um, <laughs> but, so, while she was looking that up, she saw that people sometimes do acupuncture for allergies as well. And just because I've had terrible allergies for almost my whole life, I thought, you know, give it a try. Anything could help. And I don't know. I don't know if it's helping. <laughs> I've, so I saw the guy and he, I was... So how, how long has that been? So Wednesday. Uh, when yeah, I'm sure the loretidine oh, the, medicine from home. The medicine from home has been since I got back in August. And I mean, that's helping. And my allergies actually aren't bad at the moment. But it could always be better. <laughs> and so and we're in rainy season, so Yeah, and I also like had the idea I've got time now. Why not try it out? After I started the sessions, I did a little more reading and found it's not like allergies don't get cured ever. Mm-hmm. And uh, and acupuncture does not claim to cure it, but it does provide some relief, they say. So I think if I were, if I feel like this works and I were to do it again, I would wait till a time when I felt like my allergies were really bad, and even with medicine, I was having a tough time. Mm-hmm. Um, as for is it working, I can't say. <laughs> so I went to the doctor, not a doctor, he's a technician, um, but he is at the, the medical college hospital. Um, and I told him, you know, I have allergies and I heard... That's literally what I said. I have allergies, and I heard acupuncture can help. And he's like, of course, of course it can. So he asked me... This is what I've been waiting for. This yeah. is my whole... <laughs> as a technician. Yeah. Because <laughs> that wing of the hospital is not super popular. Hmm. Whereas, like, your doctors and my asthma doctors see, like... The areas where people don't walk are populated by... Yeah. They see, like, <laughs> hundreds of people an hour, and this guy sees, like... A couple dozen people an hour. So even among the Chinese, in our town, 
at this place, it's not the most popular function. And we're covered in vegetation and mold and everything yeah, that you would yeah, think yeah. would set that off. But as I said, the, the Chinese have much lower rates of seasonal hay fever type allergies than I do. I have a hundred percent rate. <laughs> um, but so then he like asked me some questions and then he prescribed a course of treatment that was five sessions over two weeks. Um, and then also he was like, what's your work schedule like? So it is very much like a pragmatic, like you're not going to miss work to come do this. And so I told him I could come three times a week and it was Wednesday. So he's like, how about you come Wednesday, Friday? this week and then Monday, Wednesday, Friday next week. So I don't know if that was like a medical decision or just like... He was just lonely on those days? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. But then, so, yeah, that was the evaluation. And then, then we do the needles and it's, it's weird. How many needles? Um, I kind of counted. <laughs> it's hard because I keep my eyes closed because two of them are right here. So it is like... And I don't have a thing about needles, but it's like staring up at two needles isn't mm. nice. So there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. At least thirteen. So is it kind of like the cups where you're like, there's things being put in areas, but you're not quite sure exactly? I mean, you definitely. You feel like pulling and stuff on. And certain yeah I mean you definitely you feel the pinch when it goes in and that's not so bad what's uncomfortable for me so he does you don't have to use electricity but he does use electricity so he electrifies some of the needles which is a thing um, and the first session the one in my shin like it was the way it was hitting my muscle made my like toe keep twitching, which that was really uncomfortable. And I think what I said to you was it felt like felt like I was being kicked very lightly in the shin, but over and over and over. So it's not so much like that it was painful, but just like I'd like that to stop. Quit it. Quit it. And that's that's kind of how I would describe the whole feeling for me. That it's not not the pressure of the pins, but some something is happening. So whether whether you believe in chi or not, sticking a bunch of needles in you does something, and it's not just the pressure of the needles. There's like a, an energy. <laughs> how, about how long does this energy go on for? <laughs> like half an hour, um, and then. Because sometimes I get like massages here for half an hour and it's like all right this is about enough yeah and that actually feels mostly good yeah half an hour is a long time to have a continuous like okay stop yeah and that's i had acupuncture in the u.s once before but it was more like wellness acupuncture which is it felt it felt great afterwards, and the procedure itself wasn't quite so uncomfortable. This is just, and that's like I was doing some some more reading in English, and like acupuncture is not supposed to hurt, although some people can have like different kinds of reaction. And again, I wouldn't say what's happening I would call like pain, mm -hmm. but it is like I'm very happy when it's finished. <laughs> Um, and then 
I, I feel really peaceful afterwards, but it also could be because to get through like, oh, I'm feeling so uncomfortable. I like really concentrate on my breath and like meditate for half an hour while that's happening. So I could be feeling good because of the meditation or the acupuncture or both. Mm-hmm. So it's a weird situation. And it's unlike, like the massage and cupping, if you don't know what cupping is, so it's it's acupressure, I think. And it's they take these like glass cups, light a flat, like light a, what's that? Some, it's like, there's like a gel. A match? <laughs> yeah, but there's like a gel fluid or something that's inside that's flammable that you match and it. Oh, you first, think so? Yeah. Oh, I just thought it was heating the air. But I guess, yeah, there is like a big. Yeah. So it like superheats the air and then they vacuum seal it to your back and so it starts like pulling your skin. your skin out. Yeah. And there's like a whole Chinese medical explanation about toxins, which I don't buy, but it also then feels like a deep pressure massage and so that feels really good. But that, I'm having a little trouble accepting, like I don't believe in chi. Um, Although I can feel that something is happening energetic-wise in my body, um, there's not like a, a, a spa comfort component to this like there is to the acupressure. So it is, that's where I'm skeptical, maybe. Although, I mean, they and there's studies online in English or articles about studies. I maybe could track down the specific studies. But the articles range from... Throw away your antihistamines. Acupuncture really works. To well, the studies aren't imperfectly structured, but there seems to be some evidence that alert acupuncture does something, but it might be placebo. Down to like, it's bunk. Don't try it. <laughs> so, well, I mean, I think it always is. There's a little bit of something in everything, and it depends on who's. Selling it to you, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's any uh, like, don't eat meat, don't eat eggs, eat eggs, eat only meat. Like, there's always some kind of somebody is like, do a hundred percent of something because it well, proves and- that they're so awesome at something. Then, like, maybe if you tried a little bit of cupping and a little bit of medicine, yeah, yeah. And, like, don't actually go out on a bad pollen day, then maybe you might feel okay, right. but you're never going to be a hundred percent or cured. Right. Well, and that's and there's flaws. The flaws isn't the flaws. The flaws are everywhere. <laughs> but like, there can be like with these nutrition studies. Nutrition science is really hard to interpret because it's hard to structure perfectly scientifically valid experiments because you ethically can't tell people what not to eat or what to eat yeah. that's healthy. And even if you could. Like, you ethically can't put a person on a diet that you know might be bad for them. But even if you could ethically control what people eat, practically you're not going to get people to to follow that. Nutrition science is dependent on Mm self-reporting. And then the next layer is science journalism and medical reporting is... Is iffy sometimes, and so people see these studies and, and misunderstand them, or like the best headline is this, but that's somewhat misleading for what the study actually tells you. Yeah. So there's all kinds of stuff, but I think 
the literature for you. on acupuncture shows there's something about it that does something. Like, I think especially for pain management, Western science has found it actually works pretty well. Outside of placebo. Outside of placebo. Um, yeah, so it is like, I don't have to believe in it to try it. And, um, and if it does something good, that's great. And if it doesn't do anything, then I've had an interesting experience. Right. Because <laughs> <laughs> like I was saying to you, it also like knocks me out for a little bit of the afternoon afterwards. Like I, I come home and I need a nap. It's kind of trauma. Yeah, yeah. It's actually it's really hard, <laughs> but I do I, I do want to finish out the five senses senses <laughs> the five sessions because then I'll like have completed my experiment. Yeah. Um, because another another person Wait for on, findings. another person online. Um, so sometimes it does make you feel worse before it feels better. So if he said it's five sessions to to finish the treatment, finish the treatment. Yeah. Um, then you keep getting sick, stop. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then, you know, if I feel desperate enough, I might try it again. <laughs> I think I'm leading towards... Maybe not a, a lonely guy in a dark corridor. Well, I mean, <laughs> he's got his own thing going on. Um, he smokes though too, so when he's placing the needles on my face, I can like. He doesn't smoke in the room, but I can smell on his hands that he has cigarettes. He has been near cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, with the smoking culture here, it's pretty prominent. Like most massage parlors that you're going into, yeah, oftentimes are smoky. And what are you gonna do? Yeah, people people smell like smoke. Um, but yeah, so that's that's a, a kind of experiment I'm doing these days. Um, what else we got? My gym is something weird is happening. Speaking of health and yeah, not speaking being able of to health, it. and I'm so bummed. So I'm WeChat friends with some of the staff because I like have we communicate that way, um, and they are they are either locked out or on strike or both. Um, because the owners have stopped paying them, which is like such a bummer for them. I'm totally on the side of labor. Um, they should get paid for the job they do. They all work really hard and I, I like working with them. They're very professional. They do a good job. They should get paid. This is the Body Art Gym on Jiucheng Main Avenue. Um, their owners are not paying their staff and they should be paid. Um, and I kind of had a clue something was up last Sunday. I went to yoga class, and the electricity was out. And there were the people in the yoga class were having some kind of conversation with the teacher that I didn't understand the whole thing, but I could tell it was something about like something heated. Not heated, but like the teacher was like, "Yeah, I don't know how long this is gonna go on," and we. I thought it was that the management kept changing the days that the teachers got to teach and so the but I, now I think it's probably about like we're gonna go on strike um, so it's a bummer for them but it's a bummer for me because <laughs> I like going to the gym now and I like these lessons and I've like I'm got I've gotten so muscly and strong <laughs> And it's a busy gym too, right? Yeah, it's a pretty busy gym. They just finished the pool um, for the summer season, and they had a lot of people coming for the pool. So I don't, 
I don't... I mean, anybody can be broke. But I think, like, it, the, the business is going well. So if they are broke, it's because they mishandled their money. But, like, they did a big business with the pool... And now I'm like, I'm re-examining that boxing thing mm. where they were like, give us 24,000 quai today. Yeah. Wouldn't you love to do that? And then you can come for a year. Because I would be so mad if I had actually followed through with that. Even if it wasn't the instructor that was, the instructor may have had like muscle in in for management to like. You well, I think they get a lot like of pressure it. to sell like that. Yeah. But I mean, extra pressure for some reason that they were like, whether it's. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah sell this this will be a great deal for you you're gonna do we'll give you some benefits or blah 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 only to turn out really it was like because we're skipping town as soon as we get that right <laughs> which is weird like maybe you just had a windfall from conning people into boxing lessons that you were never gonna deliver on and you built a pool but like yeah. you have now you have a pool why not stay mm-hmm. and like make money from mm-hmm. that pool um no, who knows? Maybe maybe they made enough money that they're like, I'm out. I'm starting a new business. Yeah, so it's it's tough to say, like, are, did they skip town? Are they... What's going to happen? I don't really know. The business world, not even just because of China, but yeah. in general, is always... Businesses shut and close and open and reopen in a different... It just... Ways. I just don't... It doesn't... The logic of how you run a business seems insane. Yeah, I mean, it seems short-sighted because this business has, this gym has been around for four or five years. Which is pretty long. Yeah, so like, to, to, if, if this is in fact what happened, I mean, mismanagement is far more likely, um, but just, to just like skip town with all this money. Right. <laughs> um, and even like the trainers, like, Coco was a, what, was a celebrated Olympic person or something oh yeah i'm not sure if it is coco but i there's someone someone in the on the staff was like on the olympic team Mm -hmm. and coco is a bodybuilder and she like wins competitions and And some of your coaches were like people that are from like other provinces that have been yeah yeah so it's not like this was any kind of two-bit operation even even the boxing they brought in like a boxing coach from beijing to to set up the program mm-hmm. so it's it seemed like and they have like pictures on the wall they're doing more renovations so I mean this seems like maybe they they overreached <laughs> now that I'm saying all this out loud <laughs> they just built a pool they just started a boxing program they're working on more renovations oh something something happened <laughs> which I mean I hope they work it out uh, on so many levels from I like my trainer, I want him to get paid. I like my trainer, I would like to keep working with him. My, I have stuff in my locker there, including uh-huh. sneakers and a pretty expensive Kiehl's moisturizer. <laughs> All of which is replaceable. Um, but I like going there. Yeah, it's, you, you said there's other gyms in the neighborhood, but like, yeah, yeah. you like that one, it's right in your path. of. And then I also like, if that's, if that's the standard, I don't want to have to, like, join another gym and then, like, keep looking over my shoulder for when they're going to go under right. or whatever. Um, so it's a bummer all around. It's also a bummer. I went running this morning just out in the park, and then I took a shower at home. I hate our shower at home. I miss my shower at the gym. The gym shower is so nice. It's so relaxing. Our shower is awful. 
But yeah, so that's that's like real news you can use there. <laughs> Other news that's less fraught is that um, my plants are doing so well. My basil keeps growing, and we're maybe gonna harvest again in another week or two and have some more pesto. And then I have a mystery plant that the package said in English that it was Greek basil and in Chinese that it was carrots. And then it started to grow and I have no idea what it is, but it does not look like carrots. Um, and then a third plant was red pepper, hot pepper. And I planted them two weeks ago. And then I planted first and then read up on like how you should plant pepper and it's recommended you sprout it on a paper towel first, which I didn't do. I just dumped it in the dirt. So I kind of thought they were just duds and not going to grow. But I got one little sprout today sprouting out of the ground. Or the or the dirt, anyway. The pot. So that's I'm so excited about that. <laughs> and it made me look into... Because here's a, here's the whole thing about gardening. It's like a whole world. I don't know. Idea. I mean, I had some idea. <laughs> but like, Who knew? Especially because we're eating the basil. You have to... And they're in pots. You have to replenish the soil. Uh -huh. um, and they sell fertilizer, plant food at the grocery store. But I don't know if it's edible. Because for house plants, it can be any kind of chemical. Oh, yeah. But if, if it's basil and we're going to eat it, it does have to be not, not poison to us. Um... So I started looking into composting, which had the benefit of, of being into up my alley of environmentally friendly. Mm -hmm. And then I realized I don't know anything about anything. I had a whole like crisis of confidence. Because <laughs> first of all, is there like recycling or anything in the city I live in? I don't know. I think so. I mean, we don't have to sort in our house, but I think that the garbage, the people who collect the garbage in the apartment buildings sort for us. Yeah, we see the trucks going up and down the streets yeah. with the different, the styrofoams and the cardboards and the cans. Yeah, because there's money in it, so yeah. people are incentivized. I um, And then even food waste. When we're at restaurants and when we worked at those the middle school, we could mm -hmm. see like food waste is collected in a separate jar. The pig slops. Yeah, the pig slops. Pig. And and it's not. It wouldn't be compost because it would be. It's all food wastes, which includes meat and oils and mm -hmm. stuff. And you can't compost that stuff. Yeah, well, that's some of the wondering fears that we had as we saw truckloads of pig slop going out in buckets of the cafeteria. And where does that go? only to find that that's pretty much back to the pig for them to eat. I guess, yeah. I mean, it, What our students kind of... Yeah, it's, I mean, which is still, that's still being recycled and, right. and, and whatever. I think yeah, we, all, we all just kind of stepped back and went like, oh, so the pigs are eating the pig leftovers. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, if the pigs are eating pork leftovers, then that's terrible. Um, but, yeah, the... So I had like this whole fantasy where I would start composting and then because I only have three pots for houseplants, I don't, the amount of food waste and compostable material Peter and I would make would be more than that. So 
oh, what if I donated it to our apartment complex and they could use it? What if I started a whole composting program in Lujo? And like, first of all, they might already have that. Second of all, maybe they don't have that and they would just not be interested. Third of all, looking into what composting actually is, it's a lot of work. Yeah. And like, you need worms to do it right. And if you don't have worms, don't start it in the winter because it should be really hot. Cold worms? Yeah. And then, oh, I just got overwhelmed by like all the choices. Because also, the, I'm overwhelmed already. Because <laughs> <laughs> the fact of it being inconvenient is not a reason not to do it. Because <clears throat> saving the planet is going to be inconvenient because the planet burning us all to death and not producing any crops for us anymore and creating superstorms and destroying all our property is going to be way worse. And already is. Unlimited consumption, it's not working out. <laughs> so we do have to change some things. But then, like, is composting enough? Of course it's not. Of course, well, we need a system change. Um, but in the meantime, what else are you doing? Yeah. Well, and then the thing is, so for apartment composting, I found there's a system called Bokashi, which is reputed. It sounds Japanese and is reputed to be Japanese. I couldn't find, I mean, all the information I was looking at was in English and then in Chinese. Um, because it turns out anything that's trendy in America is also trendy in China. When I started looking up the word compost in Chinese, Bokashi buckets all came up. And Bokashi is something where you take all your food scraps, even meats, um, and you pour this microorganism on them, not worms, and the microorganisms kind of go through and digest, and what they do is ferment the food, mm -hmm. and then you can dump it in your, if you had a compost pile, you could dump it in your compost pile. This is where it gets controversial and weird. Um, or you can make something called a soil factory, which in is- In your city apartment building. In your yeah, so like the bucket would be this, you know, this big, and then if you get a Tupperware full of dirt and then mix the fermented food in with the dirt, then you have that'll break down. It sounds like some kind of like I mean, it's like a play, big project. Runner, like you don't want to live in some Mobius skyscraper building with people with their own like bio factories in the apartment cubicle next door to you. Right, right, yeah, it could be. Creating. That's not a zombie star, right? Right. Well, and the, the fact is it's an area where, like, science meets just... Horror? No. <laughs> science meets enthusiasts, and so there's a lot of discussion that is maybe people who know something are saying something, or maybe some people who don't know anything are talking out of their butts. <laughs> like, the, that's another... Thing easy, I got, easy, another easy, thing I got hooked easy. on was so food waste in a landfill doesn't decompose properly because it's all packed in and so it doesn't get like air and it does, worms don't crawl through it and organisms don't crawl through it to break it down. So it's it's part of the methane problem of that landfills just create a bunch of methane. But when food breaks down in a compost pile, and this is this is not my scientific opinion. This is. <laughs> summary of information I read so when food breaks down in a compost pile it doesn't create methane and then one guy was like but it's an anaerobic Bokashi 
is an anaerobic process, so that's also making methane. And then there was like a big back and forth of like, and then I realized like, oh, nobody here knows what they're talking about. <laughs> so there's always the problem of environmental stuff of like, you can have good intentions, but your good intentions don't mean you're doing a good thing that's helpful. Mm. Frankenstein again? Yeah, I mean, that's... Mm, I, <laughs> I don't think Frankenstein had good intentions. That was the whole point. Oh, really? Dr. Frankenstein was taking on the attributes of a god giving life to... Isn't that where all, like, evil geniuses start, though? Like, they, I think the point was that Dr. Frankenstein did not have good intentions with the thing he was creating. It was hubris and... And then he dumped his creation once it was too scary and he didn't, like, deal with his actions. There's no, there's no good intentions. It didn't, it turned, but I, I thought that that was like the, and maybe it's not in Frankenstein, but that's where the impetus of the, the shunned genius who decides to, that his, his godlike ability of, of science and nature and understanding and tries to fix humanity and they become evil leaders and I don't know. create is, robot armies and, is, is mad scientist <laughs> mad scientist benevolence the same as good intentions or is it just naked hubris hmm. organ movies organ movies yeah I don't know so I don't know and then now I'm paralyzed about every decision ever because of, am I helping or hurting I mean at least at least I walk to work so there's that mm-hmm um, and we yeah. don't have a dryer, so two two big things. We 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 don't do a lot. We don't do a lot <laughs> to help. <laughs> we do we do as little as possible, so we can help. <laughs> <laughs> That's my motto. Yeah. So I don't know. It's also complicated, and then like because it also would be like a lot of extra effort, and if it's extra effort that I could know is helpful. Then like, okay, go for it. But if it's extra effort that is unnecessary because Lujo already is doing something mm-hmm. or is also contributing to other problems, then like, then I'm also wasting my own time, <laughs> which is also a precious resource. We we were surprised right from the get-go when we got here that uh, the, the students that we were teaching, how many classes and performances and speeches and uh, contests that they had for all the writing stuff that we had to judge were based on... Oh yeah, the kids are thinking about environmentalism. Yeah. Um, But in a kid way, so it's not like... Yeah. That's also like good intentions that are doing a whole lot. We're looking at that young woman as our savior because she got mad at all of us. But she's actually doing something. She's not. These kids are doing she's something. not no. writing. She's not just writing an essay. I mean, yeah, but they're. I mean, hopefully, some of them are going off to. Maybe, maybe, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I feel. I feel paralyzed and like we're doomed. <laughs> <laughs> I hope this is helping you, <laughs> my audience. Um. So yeah, that was my pepper, was good news, and then like, existential despair is really underlying all of that. Just one little pepper, that's all Yeah, I did to at this point. In, in the realm of youth being our future, on my run in the park this morning, I did see a little kid out with a piece of paper watching fish and I think trying to sketch him, which was, you know, a nice little moment. It's a nice way to spend your 
Sunday afternoon. I like when you can like look at people and see a whole narrative unfolding of what they're doing with their day. Yeah. Um, people watching is the best. I guess that's what that's called. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing that's kind of it's gonna go to a dire place <laughs> is our grocery store is installing you still have to be careful right now we are dealing with a situation where there is a measure of safety but it's it still is we're like one 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 nine oh, I think I have to this actually turned out to be I think a somewhat devious scam. But I'm part of the reason why people feel secure. But we're not gonna fall for your traps, Mr. Talbow. I'm starting over. Self-checkouts. Um, which is, you know, in itself is not dire. But mm. in terms of like, AI is coming for all of our jobs. It's dire. <laughs> But I don't know how I feel about them. I mean, I like them because this is the thing. Have you, you used them? On oh, yeah, I've used them a couple times. They're usually the line is shorter because people don't know how to use them, so they yeah. avoid them. And there's usually a cashier person that's helping Yeah, and that's, they found in America when they were implementing self-checkouts, like, you always need at least one person manning the station to, like, help people because they don't know what they're doing. Um, but it's one person for now, it's like nine stations versus mm -hmm. nine actual cashiers doing those jobs. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how to use my frequent shopper card mm -hmm. at, the, at the machine. Well, here it's actually great because then you can just take all those people off the register and put them over in the soap. That's true, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Chinese supermarkets have, still have plenty of jobs. <laughs> You can't get down one aisle without like four yeah. people trying to sell you a toothpaste. Do you need help? Do you need this toothpaste? <laughs> I see you just brought a toothbrush. Do you want a toothpaste too? <laughs> Have these other toothpastes also with this? Yeah. There's, oh. a, there's a lot of help in the houseware section of, of the supermarket. <laughs> but another big flaw of the machine, so you can... The flaw of the machine? This is your new, new yeah. concept album? Yeah. So. They don't take cash, of course, and they don't have a credit card, but everybody here uses WeChat. We, WeChat? WeChat. WePay, which is part of the WeChat app. Um, and there's two functions on WeChat to pay, so you can either like bring up your own barcode and have it scanned by the machine and then it, pay, it pays through that, or you can enter your own password on the machine, but the machine face is like this big, so if like, you're over there entering your password. I can see what your password is. So that seems like a flaw. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't do that way. I do the barcode scan. Although we're, I, I don't know about the big city, but we're pretty far out enough where people watching your, over your shoulder for at the ATM is That's true. Everybody's, everybody's peeking at your passwords. Not even in a stealing Wait, it's just, what else you, I'm standing behind you, what else am I going to do? What are you doing? Yeah, you, give, me, give me a show. What numbers you got? Although I feel like I just did a computer thing. At the computer store, they know that etiquette of, like, don't look when someone's... Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, which... 
coming of age. I mean, there were ATMs when I was a kid, but like cell phones really started to be a thing, and that everybody had their own computer was starting to be a thing when I went to college. And so there was like, I remember in one of my computer classes that someone had to make a mention of like, it's considered polite to make an obvious show of looking away while someone's putting in their password. So don't stare at people while they're putting their password in. Um, but that's neither here. I don't know. Well, there's, I, there's a, that only needs to happen a couple of times in the history of the beginning of ATMs back in America to be like, this is a thing. Yeah. If, if somebody's not behind the line, then you should totally freak out and call a cop because yeah. they're probably stealing your family's riches. Right. I got twenty five dollars in the, my account. Like, I'm, <laughs> never something I'm ever worried about. But. Yeah, uh, but I mean, you know, there are scammers everywhere. Yeah. But there's less here, at least in that kind of sense. Well, not at the gym, there's oh, well, not. <laughs> that's big money, not little money. Of... Oh, yeah, I mean, are people going to rip you off at the grocery store? And somebody snagged your, your pocketbook at a restaurant when we first got here. But that's also true. our cleaning lady just handed us a stack of money that we just lay, left laying around. Oh, yeah, I forgot I had a fat <laughs> stack of cash that I meant to bring to the bank. And she's like, you, you, she you, gave it to you. Yeah, you, you, you went out. And I'm just sitting here working, and she walked over with this big pile of money, and she's like, what are you doing? <laughs> oh, I'm like, oh, thank you so much. I guess, that, I mean, that's rude for us to even, like, leave it out. <laughs> just, like, poke it between the couch cushions. <laughs> are you a thief? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was... For the most part, people aren't stealing from me, but it really only takes one. Yeah. Um, well, that's one of the things about basic personal safety and stuff, and, and you get used to it really quickly in here in China that, like, you just kind of forget to, like, check over your shoulder, check your pocketbook. You don't really think about it as much as, it. like, back yeah. home, I remember, like, you, whatever you carry, like, walking around New York City, like, that's, I've never took my, my bag off me, like... Yeah. In the subway. Yeah. But at work, it's like even at my feet, like. But here, like, I mean, we had a thought of yesterday at the coffee shop. Like, do we leave all of our stuff here to go to the bathroom or like. Oh, yeah, that's right. And I did, I took my computer, but right. I left everything else. But we else. had to think about it for a few minutes. So yeah. Like, we probably, and then we looked over and there's like a whole group of women that just like kept leaving piles and piles of personal items and yeah, walking yeah, away for yeah. half an hour and coming back. And, I mean, none of this is like any recommended <laughs> yeah, advice yeah. or anything. It's just like, huh? Well, I kind of forgot to like pay attention sometimes. It's a meditation on the honesty of people, mm. and that some are, people are honest and some people aren't. I guess. Um, but it's polite to make a show of looking away when someone's entering their password. Yeah, that much and is, that's, is that's good all. advice. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to blame the acupuncture for this weird mood I'm still in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It has made me really spacey. Mm. Um, so I don't know. And, and again, an article I read was like, your chi can rebalance for up to 24 hours after you have the acupuncture done. Huh. Um, but it's been more than 24 hours because I went on Friday and it's Sunday. Think you're in some kind of withdrawal now? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe I'm like so unbalanced that he's 
he was just like, oh my god, you need the, the Whopper treatment. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm, and I'm going to come out of this at the other end as a whole different person. Okay. Shave your head go up to the top of the mountain. I have always wanted to shave my head. I've never had the guts to do it, though. It's free. Yeah, I'm sure. Maybe next summer. There's a woman at the gym. I think, um... Well, I, I'm not gonna assume. She has a shaven head and she wears a wig. Um, but when she does yoga, she takes off the wig. So she does have, like, a total shaven head. Mm-hmm. But I guess if you wear a wig, it's easier to put over a, a shaved head, right? I, I guess so. Um, so maybe, maybe that's her. Velcro stubbly. Yeah, because I was gonna say maybe there's a medical issue, but... She's doing yoga like 10 times a week, so whatever medical issue, she's, she's pretty strong. Mm. Um, but it could just be a fashion choice. Or some kind of remission. Yeah, she could be in, in healthy now. I don't know, but a person I know wears a wig <laughs> and shaves their head. <laughs> this is the news of the Joe this week. All right, we're at 45 minutes. Oh my goodness. Well, let's, let's start the podcast. Yeah. Do you want to talk about... So, the big news for in Peter and I's world is that the place where we worked at for a decade almost... Oh, yeah. And where we met um, got sold. It was a newspaper, and it got sold to new owners. Um, and so How about a little... Where, where? When did you start it first? You were there when it first opened. Yeah. How, how long ago was that? That was, like, October... 2003 uh-huh. or, or September I don't know fall 2003 and, and that then was a fresh spanking new, new yeah York. we weren't even putting out issues yet it was a and it was a new kind of it, it was, if you have like metro in your city um ours was an executive from metro boston stole the idea and started a different kind of that commuter paper in new york which was like the the big the beginning of the metro newspaper, but also the end of newspaper and print in general. Yeah, it was. Point. I mean, the model was to capitalize on the fact that the newspaper readership was shrinking, but there wasn't yet cell phone service on subways. So if you had a subway in your city, maybe you wanted a paper that took 20 minutes to read. Yeah. So it was like was 200 word stories audience. taken from the AP wires um, with a little bit of supplemental original reporting. Um, Which eventually turned into a series of lists. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the listicle um, before it was digital. Yeah, so this was... Peter and I left there to move to China um, for many reasons. And We were there for quite a long time, too. Yeah. And I, I think, like, I, I always like wanted to, like, you did and move I, on, but other other newspaper jobs, I was like, what am I going to work at another newspaper? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, yeah, I left about a year before you did. Started yeah. the year after you did. Yeah. But I had spent that year looking at finding other print jobs and yeah. having worked in print my whole professional career. Mm-hmm. Spent a year of, of just going like, oh, this is just, this is hopeless. Like, whatever jobs that... I was surprised. I went into that, that interview, my second interview with the editor and asked him, how long is this paper going to be open? <laughs> like six months after it opened because I just I was like how why are you starting a newspaper this is ridiculous yeah so like six years later or whatever when I left I was like well I've always worked in print I 
I, what do I do? I go look for jobs, and there was just absolutely nothing, which was the beginning of the idea of where I joked of like we should go to China and, yeah. and teach. And yeah. after a few months of you being totally frustrated, you just were like, "Are you kidding?" Yeah, yeah. And so the day, like, the day I gave my notice. The managers had just had a big meeting, and my manager told me, like, oh, thank God, because we just had a meeting about, like, potential layoffs. <laughs> so, like, oh, I'm quitting, and then you're just not going to fill my job again. And then... Feels great. <laughs> fairly soon after you left, mm -hmm. and we came here, more people left. Yeah, so... they, they by, consolidated. By now, a lot of the staff that we had worked with is no longer there, eight, eight years later. But there were a couple... Of people still working there, and then they got they got laid off because the the company wants the new company wants to bring in new management. So it was like, oh, that old place. Mm. Um, well, it's weird. It's weird to see people that were there when we were there. I mean, one of the things that you, I I don't know if everyone thinks this way, but like I like to leave a place before it closes down. <laughs> I don't want to be the last person yeah. in the office that's packing up and turning the lights off. I like to stay after the, the <laughs> And then trash the place. Down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Keep showing up for work when, like, the power's out. <laughs> <laughs> Throw eggs out the window. Until my desk gets chopped up for firewood. That's how, that's how I like to stay in a job. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, yeah, having that having people as you're leaving well you had the HR department gave you a whole like inquisitive in your exit. oh I did an exit interview yeah which was partially what was she saying to you I don't remember it was she, she was asking you about like like why are you going to China well no but she said something about like she was asking me about stuff about what that could be improved and I mentioned some stuff that could be improved but she's like but you're you're not leaving for another newspaper job, so it's not like you weren't unhappy here. You're moving to China, like no, but I'm moving to China because I don't like the whole industry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, she was that for whatever reason she was dismissing all my concerns because I wasn't gonna get a job like that job. And my thought was like, I dislike this job. But in the end, like when I started, it was a great job. But in the end, I really disliked so much about that company. That I was like, I'm never getting a job like this again. I have to move to China, <laughs> and she didn't see that. Right. But the uh, the idea of of that industry itself, well, there's lots of other industries like that back home mm -hmm. that are just. I mean, how long are you going to keep grinding it into it till you are the last person throwing your desk on the firewood? Yeah. And not that we were thinking about that eight years ago of just like we got to get the hell out of here before the whole place goes down. Yeah. But it is strange to, like, see that out of the woodwork. Yeah, I mean, I mean like, and it's, if, I mean, it is, it's not we closed. It's just bought by another company. Every, the last of the people are leaving. But the the, the thinking about, like, if, if we were, both of us still working there, I mean, we say eight years, but that's only eight years. Yeah. As long as we've lived worked there anyways if, if I was living in New York right now mm -hmm. with that same experience working in papers 
I can't. I mean, we couldn't afford to live there anymore. Like, it, yeah. that would be over. That like yeah. move back home with your parents, kind of thing. Or move to New Jersey. Or New Jersey, <laughs> and work at the, uh, some kind of little gazette or something until that one dies. Like, well, I think it's no less than like, what do you want to have a job? Mm. Capitalism is the worst because <laughs> it is like. I went into journalism because I liked telling stories mm-hmm. and no one's going to pay you to do creative things that you like. Mm-hmm. But the closest things for an English major are either journalism or advertising. And I just, I was not going to go into advertising. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like working in journalism, I did learn a lot and I had a lot of great opportunities, but it wasn't like getting me any closer to doing the thing that I wanted to do or even figuring that out I've like I may have said this before on the podcast but I before I started working for the paper I was writing a lot for myself I don't know if they were any good or whatever but I was writing a lot of um, fiction that I liked and I was pursuing that and then the day I started was the day I stopped writing for myself and I really never got back to it until after we left and you know what? Whatever that was, I had a job and that was great. Yeah, and, um, you, and you learned some professional level skills and stuff. Like, I mean, I and there's seen, a certain amount of people out in the world who would say like, "What? Who needs art? Why are you going to make art?" <laughs> well, that's the main. And that's problem. Because <laughs> I have the same thing. Because like, I don't like, writing like that. I'm I'm a graphic artist, so that's I, I'm getting that job because I do art. I take colors and shapes yeah. and I make them look interesting. And the only way to do that is working in advertising and journalism and, and the same kind of stuff. So like that's that's what all the creative people that get stuck in those jobs have to do is like mm-hmm. and next thing you know you're reporting on like either you're doing stories of like how horrible the world is or how shallow the world is. Right. Like you're doing you're doing fashion or politics or something that just like right. and at the end of the day you're going home and going like, well, I didn't kill myself today. <laughs> like, but I'm not doing any art when I get home either. Yeah, yeah. And I mean you get to sneak in your the stuff you care about every once in a while. Those um, little battles that keep you going to next yeah. week. Yeah. But then you also have to write roundups of which celebrities published books this week. Yeah. Yeah, the um, amount of like True story. <laughs> the amount of stuff that I knew about the fashion world and celebrities and terrible sides of music that, like, there's just, there's no reason I should know any of this, but I could sit in a conversation and talk about, like, what happened on fashion movie runways this week. Yeah. I, I don't want to have that in my head. Well, I remember being a young punk of, like, are we making the world worse by, right. like, the, the the news itself is important, and good reporting is important. Digesting important, complex issues down into a 200-word story, is that making things worse? And I would argue yes, and I would argue that yes, the world is ten, the world is, is worse than it was. Well, when those stories have gone down to that size of a story, in a paper, and then in a smaller paper that you can read in 20 minutes on the subway, to something you can zip by on your phone, to I just need the quick bites that I can right, flip through right. at this point. Like I, I don't, I'm not reading full stories. Like I'm, I'm just reading 
headlines and like the first paragraph. Right. Well, paragraph. if art is a commodity and information is a commodity, then but that's our the information. That's the stuff people want to read. Is yeah. stuff that they're flipping through and not getting the 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 actual like art that you want to do. The stories that are I mean, even those get pushed off. And well, that's like so for the people making it that sucks, and for the people consuming it, they're not being challenged and they're not being fed good yeah. healthy. They're getting uh, junk food. Stories. Yeah, good healthy stories. You mean eight good healthy <laughs> stories a day? <laughs> have a have a carrot story, a basil story. And yeah, so I don't know. I mean, not not so. I've been so gloom and doom today, but <laughs> there's things about the world that are good. But the like me- the media fish. landscape is objectively more terrible than it used to be. Um, I mean, this and that's not what we really wanted to get into all again. What more for us? So, like, moving to China was like a kind of reckless, like, burn it all down, start over again move. But it did enable us. What we knew we would get out of it was the stability of income because we we knew like our services were in demand and actually being being who we are, we'll, we're going to luck into jobs that that provided a nice salary and also those jobs don't take that much time mm-hmm. and so it like we will get to then like relax a little bit into a life that we enjoy well uh, I certainly as much as I was aware of things like composting back in New York City there wasn't like any time that I had to or money to even think about <laughs> anything like that like doing doing anything back in our old life in America was just a matter of like getting through it and mm-hmm. getting by yeah all the time no matter how much of a paycheck I was earning like it was still everything was just just you have to get everyone else's work done well, and then as, you don't have anything else as left. a famous politician said in New York City the rent is too damn high <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so here, here we did find a, a situation that lets us not do that. And I think there are days when I wake up and go, <gasps> "We have no health insurance <laughs> in a way that would be recognizable in America." We do have catastrophe insurance, and healthcare is relatively cheap. Um, but if we continued on our path without doing this. I would not have made the other choice. We would not actually have a job or health insurance or anything right now. Yeah. And like... We have jobs. And I feel like some of that old life has conditioned me in bad moments to question like, yeah, but is what you're making any good? You love what you're doing and it feels good to do it, but what's that worth? Like, that should be worth everything. (laughs) That's the thing that's important. Certainly, I mean, our bosses would... Even if you were doing something good on the clock, that you were just like, this is going to be good. This is really going to help this article. Yeah. And they say, like, cut that all out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, well, I mean, I don't want to go too hard on them. Well, I mean, on that paper in particular. I mean, I worked at a bunch of places, and they were all, they were all very exciting places to start with. Even working for the, the, the Ninja Turtles. Like, I, I worked for the Ninja Turtles for, like, the half of death decade it was it was awesome yeah. but at the same time like the pressures of, of working 
in a cool place and an upcoming new company that's doing something exciting is really, really hard on yeah. everybody. Well, and the nature of doing work for someone else is that ultimately you're fulfilling their vision. Yeah. Which, at a certain point, seems like we only get this one life. Right. Sometimes it seems endless, but like 70 years is nothing in comparison to the whole history of the universe. Why would you spend time making another person happy? <laughs> Which is maybe the most selfish way to put that. But like, why Why would you devote so much of yourself to making something for somebody else? For making profit for somebody else? For fulfilling someone else's vision? That doesn't... And if, that, if that's what makes you... If that's fulfilling to you, then... That's that's okay, but if I, I didn't find it fulfilling, mm-hmm. um, so that's where the the the, the so I come freedom. back to what am I gonna have a job? <laughs> the freedom, but also the fear of what we've done being here. Yeah. At this point, is at the same time terrifying and yet vindicated all like in yeah. in the span of a couple of days. Because some of those fears we would have had now. anyway, of like getting hit by a bus as a fear. That's just, right. like, that's part of living in a world with buses. <laughs> <laughs> no more buses. And that that's a control issue that, that, again, living in China has helped me really accept, like, I have much less control over things than mm-hmm. I had thought. Mm-hmm. And so... In a, in, a, in a mindfulness way of, like, once you recognize that control is an illusion, you can let go of that suffering when you feel like things are getting out of control. When you start from a place of, like, things are out of control, <laughs> that's actually, like, way easier to deal with. I was just reading in a Peter Hessler's Oracle Bones book. Mm-hmm. He was talking to a Chinese friend of his that was saying, this was, like, during, like, right after 9-11, mm-hmm. and they were talking about how economy is going to be affected by this and mm-hmm. uh, and his friend said like yeah no us the, the Chinese have a, a a saying that like you're I forget what the exact quote is but it's something like you're you're only poor if the person living next door to you is rich Right. At this point, right. it isn't a matter of like, like I need what that 
is unless that person is right next door, like putting it in your face. Like, right. Yeah. Because if 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 your peer group is all on the same economic level as you, you're all fine. Yeah. No matter saying? what dollar amount you're all making. Right. I, I think that's that's very wise. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. So the work the work we've been doing is fun. Um. We put out a lot of videos, a lot of music videos in the last two weeks. Well, this also kind of dovetails nicely into uh, yet another change of Hello Warner becoming not me. Yeah. Because um, we've I'd... taken everything down <laughs> into another notch of not only we not working in any kind of like mainstream other person's company. Yeah. We've taken our own thing that we were building on YouTube and going like, eh, I'm not yeah. even... Yeah, so we changed our channel name to Not Here, um, and from Hello Foreigner, which came from Hello Uncle Foreigner, which has been the name of Peter and I as a creative entity since since we landed, basically. It was like the, the, the day or two after that we got here, when we came around a corner, around the food, yeah. uh, from, from our apartment, and a little boy came around the corner and said, Hello! Yeah, and so you said, we, that's our name. You took that with. Sometimes it's been a blog. Sometimes it's been stories. Sometimes it's been an imagined media empire, <laughs> and it was the name of our YouTube channel. But having so much history with that as a name and as an identity, because it really does feel like we, Peter and I, are Hello Uncle Foreigner as a collective unit. Mm-hmm. Um, and you said part of the trouble with selling that name. In, in Reddit and other places online is that it doesn't mean anything to it means so much to us and it means nothing to other people and when people see the word foreigner they have the, they bring their own baggage to that table yeah. and so it makes it even tough since I was a little kid the, the 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 word foreigner is a dirty word in a lot of circles yeah and, I mean I'm not happy about that and yeah. it's not I don't think and kind of our, our rationale was we'll teach them well to get to have the tagline we're all foreigners to someone from a different country, um, but nobody, nobody t- wants t- to hear that. Nobody went along with us on that journey. Yeah. Um, and so that's such a precious thing to us. that comes out like we're all slobs in somebody else's house. <laughs> right. Um, and we had the idea to switch the podcast name to Not Here. Peter and Emily are yeah, not Yeah, we just here. kind of like bungled into it like we said almost the same thing at the same time and went that's good enough yeah and we, we like that for all kinds of reasons including like our passive engagement with the world <laughs> um, and then you had the idea what if it's not just the podcast what if it's the whole YouTube project is just called Not Here to go along with our new even more hands off attitude our towards like when we started YouTube we were like we're gonna do it right we're gonna publish to the minute every day we'll have the schedule we'll have our videos will be structured like this da 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 and we did that for quite a while yeah the better part of a year we, we followed all and the I rules think, and we watched all the the, the 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 academy videos and we tried to approach it as if we were a production company working for TBS with a national campaign that we wanted to like establish this branding and recognizability and blah 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 and that I think it was helpful to try work working like that because that gave us like a lot of discipline and it helped us moving through periods where we're like we, we don't know what we're doing but let's keep going anyway um, and we I think we just we did 
a lot of experimentation of process in that time. Um, whereas now what we're focusing on is experimentation of form, which is to totally let go of the idea that we might be any kind of cohesive unit and, and need a national campaign to have people like identify this as an entity, Hello yeah. Foreigner as an entity. Rather, we're focusing on video to video, trying out different creative ideas that make us laugh. Like, we're working on some scripts right now that are going to kind of push us in a new direction, which is really exciting. And to kind of give ourselves that permission to go that way. Something with branding. With let go of Hello Foreigner. Because Hello Foreigner, Hello Uncle Foreigner is, like, in our hearts. Not here. But this is the thing. Let's put it not here. Something about branding that does make it so precious, but also so personally professional because you're like thinking about this in a way that like somebody is this has got to be ready when somebody comes along mm-hmm. and wants to do some kind of affiliate with you oh yeah we were like running next to the train so we could hop on when we were right. lined up with a door right. and the, now we don't need to spend our energies that way now right. we're kind of meandering through a field we, <laughs> well, as a metaphor we learned where the train is going and we're not happy about it yeah we don't even want to get on that train anymore right. this field is really nice right. and it's it's too there's fundamentally we're not going we can put our logos in the right places and have everything matched up where it's supposed to go at the right time and everything but we're not going to actually ever be able to put out that kind of content that is expected of people that want to sell stuff. So, well, and just and we're not we, going to be successful at it. So why, what we learned from doing that process is this is how this works. Great. Yeah. we got our Instagram set up. we got our band cam set up. We've got all of our different logos in our studio. Is Everything is a working force. Mm-hmm. And then to get to that point and say, like, well, let's use that force to do exactly what we want and forget about, like, we're branding like, in case somebody comes along and wants us to sell hats for them. Like, right. we never wanted to sell hats, but we were there just in case to be ready right, for it. So. Right, Well, because who we are, what we want to talk about, and the way we want to talk about it is never going to take YouTube by storm. Right. And even with respect, like... Donald Glover came from a YouTube comedy troupe, and like he's amazing, but we're we're not gonna be that, and we're not gonna be Bo Burnham, and we're not. I've actually seen any of his his YouTube stuff. Like it apparently isn't. They're very silly. Yeah, it can't be that amazing where people (laughs) are like passing him around decades later, being like, "This man is a genius." Like go watch movies. But and the things that catch fire, we're not we're not even interested in catching fire. It's not even like we're the wrong thing to catch fire. Like. I don't want a million fans. Well, and the more time... Too much pressure. Now that we've learned how the the cogs work, the more time that we spend trying to pursue that means the less time that we're spending on actually working on what we actually want to do. Yeah. Like, uh, stopping trying to figure out, like, how do we explain China back to the West? Or, I mean, because when we started, we thought, like, well, what do we do? We'll make food videos or culture videos or something like that. And realize that we that we're not doing that even when we think we're doing yeah. that. And the reason I mean we talk about this so much, but the reason that we keep talking about like 
our goal is creativity, our goal is not a million followers, is because the whole YouTube machine is designed as a social media experience to get you to buy into this. More is better, more is better, more time is better, more engagement is better, more eyeballs is better. And that's that's not actually the goals that we set for ourselves, but the using YouTube as a distribution platform means that that idea keeps getting put back in our head and we have to like keep dismissing it because like that's not our goal our goal is to make these like we're working on a a piece let's write it let's film it let's make it come out how we want it that's the goal and that's it's it's really hard to keep your eye on that prize yeah because everyone is so we have this therapy session every (laughs) week every other week turning there, everything turns you back to as soon as you're like alright we're not doing that and then you watch a couple of videos you read an article something and you're like oh crap we need to I need to go check out this website and maybe download this software or maybe we need this kind of app or something like yeah, I should yeah, get back yeah, to yeah. doing more Instagrams or something yeah like. let's redo the thumbnails for 500 times yes yeah, so like it, it, it's hard not to get redirected yeah. In this Because there's stream. there's good stuff about the platform, one being it's a free distribution for our videos, but also like we have actually found some people that we are simpatico with and that we like talking to. Mm-hmm. Um like Rooftops of America. America. I I did not actually write this to your comment. This is where I'm so bad at social media. <laughs> but as one of our our Rooftops of America friend follower Wrote That's the name response. of his channel, his yeah. YouTube channel. Wrote in response to one of a video where I was talking about like giving myself permission to write. And he said that he didn't ask for permission, but lots of people offered unsolicited advice not to do it. <laughs> which I think like I loved that. I loved hearing that, and I should have written back. Sorry, dude. Um, well, by the time this comes out, you yeah. might have. <laughs> That's true. Um, but, like, getting to talk with people who are on the same wavelength as us, especially because in, in Luzhou, as a small town, it's hard in any small town, not even if it's foreign from your, your place of origin, to find the people who vibrate on your wavelength. Um, so that, that is only a positive, that the internet gives us access to more people who like the same weird specialized things that we do. Right. Um, so it is, is, you can't just throw out YouTube altogether, or we can't. The, the amount of, of niche people that I've found that I I enjoy the, their work on a daily, weekly, whatever basis from YouTube is, I mean, a few of them are fairly big, but I mean, most of them are pretty darn small at what they do. It's not like... Yeah. I mean, I was like thinking like, if, if, if I were to start my own side channel that was just the Peter YouTube station channel mm-hmm. like no matter what I decided would you have me on as a guest? I could have you on a guest but you probably wouldn't want to talk about comic books or Zappa <laughs> probably the main things I would talk about oh, yeah. but even that itself would be like I could say like I talk about comic books and Zappa and that's already a crowded niche <laughs> Well, but it's also not though in that there would be some people who would go, that's my channel. Mm-hmm. A tiny amount of people would be like, that is where I'm so, I'm so excited to tune in every week to find out what's going on here. Mm-hmm. A couple more people would be like, 
get rid of the comic books and just talk about Zappa. Mm -hmm. And then a billion more people would be get rid of the Zappa and just talk about comic books. But there's already a billion people talking about comic books out there. So mm -hmm. my little niche of, of whatever that would be, yeah, I would be far more popular than we are now just because I'm talking about whatever Captain other America. Pe other people's work. Right. But if that was my... I, like, I couldn't even focus on, like, this is my channel about me. And it's not that those are the only two things in my life. It's Marvel Comics and Zappa. Mm -hmm. But if I even said that those are my two things, like, I would fray almost instantly as soon as I started that channel with, like, well, here's an XTC playlist, and here's yeah. Jethro Tull playlist, or yeah. something like that. <laughs> and these are comic books not by Marvel. <laughs> all of a sudden, your audience goes all over the place. So trying to find, like, anything... Like we said, with tying us into, like, are we a China podcast, like, that really kneecaps us in any kind of goal that we're like, well, what do you talk about? Like, I guess we talk about China the most because we live here. Well, and that's, that's the inherent problem of genre is, like, to organize information or creative products or whatever, consumers audiences do need some kind of structure. Like, if you went into a bookstore and all the books were just jumbled up on the floor, I mean, there's a certain kind of book lover, myself included, who would still love that bookstore. <laughs> this is the most delicious salad like, <laughs> I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. But, for the most part, if you're looking for a book, you want to, like, get pointed in the direction of, like, this is a sci-fi adventure and this is whatever. But then once you, like, make sci-fi a genre... That's a loaded example. <laughs> Anybody knows about the sad puppies. Um, but then you get, then you have gatekeepers who say this is sci-fi, this isn't sci-fi. And then if you are an aspiring writer who wants to have some kind of sci-fi elements but go in a little bit of a different direction, it's not recognizable to the people who've said, but sci-fi is this. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that was our problem with, like, China vlogging is already a genre. And we wanted to not do it the same way that everybody else and those genres because the conventions are helpful mm -hmm. that's why we have them but then they are also very limiting <clears throat> those genres themselves are constantly changing waves of like like I have old stuff like I got kicked off the, the, the lo-fi reddit because I put lo-fi in there what is exactly the beginning of lo-fi of using old 4-track Tascam analog recording mm. material Back when lo-fi was like described as like Sebado and Lou Barlow and, mm -hmm. and these like artists that are just sitting in their bedrooms like with boom boxes. Yeah. It was lo-fi because you were using speakers and amplifiers taped yeah. at the same time and it sounded horrible. <laughs> and now, uh, so I was like, oh, lo-fi, I'll, I'll stick some music in there, that'll be cool. And they're like, sorry, this doesn't it, 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 it doesn't qualify. Lo-fi is now a, a branch of hip hop. It's a branch of hip hop that is like, I mean, it's it, it's just computer music that has like a filter over that makes it sound like poppy. So it's mm. like you've got like crackles and pops over some like vaporwave, and that's lo-fi. Like that is so not yeah. <laughs> opposite of lo. Like, so that's a case of of definition shift. Yeah, and then that leads to. By the time that, Confusion. like, changes, like, of, hey, we'll go over here, we belong in this area, like, well, no, that was last year. <laughs> mm. 
Oh. But that's, so then that's all to say, like, we're stepping away from trying to fit in anywhere. And that's the, the name not here is kind of reflective of, like, in a deeper sense that you and I have, like, always felt like outsiders. And not, like, I'm happy with that. I'm happy with my yeah. life. Like, I am not a joiner. <laughs> so it's, like, it's been nice to be on the outside and observe. Because that's also, as we've talked about in the past, like, the creepy writer tendency. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I like sitting back and watching everyone. That's cool to me. Um, and the ideas that we're working on are closer to the things that we ever wanted to do since we've sort of this YouTube project. Yeah, like, and then so to to really let go, to define the to define it as undefined. Um, and even, I mean, we'll see where that goes. Even within that, though, we've we've set up our own structural paths of this kind of work goes here and this kind of work goes like we have yeah. structured down of what actually goes into that but without like trying to be like well this one has to cater to this kind of audience or this one has to well and because that the, where it, it's where <laughs> where it has practical applications is to 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 remove one more barrier of saying no because it doesn't fit something mm -hmm. like oh that's a good idea but blah 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 if it's a good idea we, we're trying to pursue it no matter what now. which is what it comes down to is that the only Thing that's restricting us mm -hmm. isn't really so much that YouTube is this is yeah is the YouTube is such a shithole and so is modern Western culture and we're stuck with fighting off terrible knockoffs of hip hop movie stars or something like that. Like YouTube says, we don't give a shit. We're not going to promote you. Yeah. Here's all the bandwidth you want. It's us that are, are not actually doing exactly what we want because we're thinking like, oh, no one's going to watch this, so we should probably make it, maybe put in a couple little hints there of like if you're ordering hot, spicy food at a Chinese <laughs> restaurant. Well, because to catastrophize, like what if no one watches us ever? Mm -hmm. Do we go move back to New York and like get media jobs again <laughs> now with like a huge gap in our resumes? Right. No, we, no I, back. if if the work we've done is work that we're proud of, then that that's still a success and that's mm -hmm. a good life. That's right. Yeah, what, what, what would, with some half-assed service journalism that you would put together that is out of date in two months. Yeah. What. What good is that? Whereas in the stuff that we have done is like that was pretty cool that time that we did that one shoot. Yeah. That's up there. It's yeah. Cool that proud of that work. Yeah. Good job. Yeah, and to go back and look at it like we did a good job. Good job, <laughs> not here. To, and so let's quickly mention two videos. Okay. Um, so we did put out a lot of music videos this week. They're great. Go watch them. <laughs> the videos we want to talk about are one is Visa and one is the Art of Saving Face, which is um, Visa is the Peter's character um, exercise in misinformation, <laughs> and so that was just us goofing around trying to be funny. Um, and it was we had to go shopping for a prop <laughs> for maybe the first time. Oh, that's right. We did. We did. We, we, we bought props before, but we did. We Including did go shopping to hat. buy this little people. Students use them to keep their bus cards in a lanyard and a yeah. laminated thing. Um, but we just were like goofing around to see. It's almost trolling 
especially titling it how to get a Chinese visa or because yeah. <laughs> the, the information in it is so unhelpful but it's very quickly obviously unhelpful so we're hoping like if you stumble onto this while you're really looking at if you get a visa you at least get a little laugh out of it and yeah. then like get back to your day well that that is talking about having some kind of structure in not having structure that we're, we've that's one character area that we, mm -hmm. we enjoy writing yeah. this kind of satire of a character. And it's and giving me, so we're, Peter and I are experimenting with different permutations of he writes something, I write something, we write something together, and then kind of recently, yesterday, I <laughs> decided um, that the Peter character, I'm going to take that on as like a, an exploratory writing challenge. And it's interesting to, to have a character as a focus, and now I get to see, like, what happens when I put him in these different situations. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's Peter. <laughs> <laughs> well, in our bigger projects, like we've talked about, we're, that we're working on a movie. Yeah. This is, I mean, another aspect of Not Me as a mm -hmm. channel is, is working on our skills for a bigger project. Yeah. So, like, writing a character, a lot of what we've done up to this point is, like, it's sort of a quasi-vlog, so it's sort of... It's unfocused as to, like, who's telling a story or why yeah. we're telling a story yeah. or what we're telling a story about. This is actually, like, we've got a character that we enjoy mm -hmm. and we think other people enjoy, and let's write that character and see what we can explore with a character yeah and so it helps with the bigger projects of like how how do we bring breathe the character into life because then we've also figured out a, a new process or not new but like we've we've nailed down a process for writing collaboratively that we'll probably talk about more when we've finished one of those projects and bring them mm -hmm. to the to the screen um but full disclosure I'm reading a book called Improv for Writers to get to get me into this space of like creation. Um, and if I did have the the idea to, if there was an improv troupe in Lujo, I would join them. <laughs> if there's one in Chengdu, let me know, and I might travel up to Chengdu to try it out. Cause that does that like that um, getting into the moment and letting ideas out. I think is is a good working as an exercise for me right now mm -hmm. and so like that's it's pure play to write now for Peter's character and for my character as well because um, my character is who is still like in development but we wrote this piece called the art of saving face which is my version of beauty advice to you uh, which is like aggressively mean <laughs> and I think both of them are kind of our frustration with monologuing. Mm -hmm. um, and the, I think writing these directly led to, like, we like these and we think they came out good, but, like, we need a different process for writing because we can't just be mean about other people, yeah. the way other people live their life all the mm -hmm. time. That's not the writing we want to do. And we want the challenge there was to see if we could be funny about it, and I think we, we did. So, um those are pieces that are transitional pieces, I would call them. Yeah. Is that fair? I would say so. In, in that spirit of what we're trying to do, 
now with our channel as, as making it an exercise of of of, of playing of, of yeah because those pieces are develop skills and have fun yeah and not really worry about like is this hitting the algorithm or anything yeah and those pieces are satire not of anyone specific but more of like a kind of attitudes that we see um and satire is is the lazy man's wit <laughs> and that doesn't mean i even don't enjoy watching satire right. but as from a writing perspective we we made we made those pieces they did their job we achieved our our goals with them but it's it's actually not a direction we'd like to go in a different direction so mm -hmm. um that's what, and some of us so go watch those pieces that we're not going to do anymore <laughs> Some, some of it, too, is, and where those characters are going to go, are, they're part of, not just satire, but they're us, too. So... Yeah, and, and that's the part that's more interesting to right. us, is to develop what's unique about them rather than, like, what's laughable about other people. Right. And doing them, then you would say, like, well, why don't you just do a vlog? But just flat out doing a vlog without, like, actually writing and exploring language and fun words and, right. and bringing things into taking mundane things like you know you could tell somebody that you bought a vacuum cleaner right well and this is our vlog this is where we share right the, our stories from our real life and this is the format in which we like doing that but finding a fun way to i mean because what is a sitcom or a drama uh, i mean writers aren't making up absolutely insane surreal situations that have never happened like the funnier yeah. it is the closer it is to what's happened you just change names and situations to amp up the funny and yeah even like the good place which is happening in a, in a supposed afterlife with supernatural things happening the the conflicts are grounded in real human interaction and the even even the ideas they're exploring are like from philosophy, it's not like Michael Schur is making up completely new worlds and yeah. cosmologies. That opening scene this week where they were playing Pictionary or something. Yeah, yeah. Like a wild, insane-looking giraffe, and then the horse. thought of a horse, and have that to come alive as, as a horror yeah. was a surreal, wild thing. But the actual joke is like not being able to draw a real horse yeah and yeah or and like how Pictionary as a social party game is sometimes excruciating for yeah. some people <laughs> but I was just listening to an episode of To the Best of Our Knowledge which is a podcast by Wisconsin Public Radio um, and they were talking they had a whole episode about creativity and neurologically how creativity happens and they talked to this one researcher who was who says that the areas of creativity and the areas of memory in the brain have either a lot of overlap or are completely the same areas. Hmm. And so that, with that in mind, <laughs> in mind, um, that creativity, you can't entirely create something that has not existed in your consciousness ever before. Hmm. I mean, it can be like, I had a nightmare about a real creepy doll the other night, and it's definitely not a face I've ever seen, but I've seen dolls before, and right. I've seen creepy faces you before. You make up dolls. And that so, would be a yeah. weird dream to wake up and proclaim that I've made up an idea. Right. It's a small <laughs> human. And, like, like, down to, like, she had a face like humans have. Mm -hmm. um, 
But that what was creative about it is like all those parts combined into this new idea, but it's, it could never be something that like I had never had experience of before in my life. Right. So like, I mean, that's that's a theorem. That's not that's not for sure, but it makes a lot of sense to me. Like when you try to read a book in a dream and you like just keep reading the same page and you're like, yeah, why yeah. Can't I get up? I know how to read. I swear I know how to read. Yeah. Why can't I get past the sentence? But and anything you you make up by necessity has to somehow be based in a reality mm. that you've understood. Um, and what we found is that... Or like how you understand that reality could be changed, I guess. One thing we found in these writing exercises and mm-hmm. acting and filming exercises that that initial thought that is like a wild joke that you can just have off the cuff until you start working on the process to bring it to life mm-hmm. that's funny to say it and then you start working on it and you're like well that's not nearly enough we, yeah. we now we need to add more to that to make it punch through it, it's like when you see like you know whoever Tom Cruise and not that I've seen Tom Cruise in real life but <laughs> the, 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 so you look bigger on screen is always in, in stories comes straight through that you're not really in real life everything is probably this small or this interesting mm. your job as somebody who's writing putting something into screen putting into something somebody's ear is to make it seem like I've had I've just woken up from a, an amazing fantastic dream that's blown my mind mm. as opposed to I just woke up and I was tired it's not a very good story <laughs> <laughs> right well I was uh... We just wrote a thing two days ago that I'm so excited about, but I don't want to, like, get too into because you'll see it, like, a month from now. But the writing process was... It was based on a real moment that happened to Peter and I. But, like, if you if you had also been there and filmed the moment or had a God's eye view of what was happening, I don't... It, that would not have been... Like, through the process of writing it, we had to find, like, oh, we have to, like, narrow down all these points of view and to to get a moment that happened in two seconds, it's actually, like, a two- or three-minute scene now to, like, have the payoff that we just instantly felt. But part of that is we have to establish who the character is in that moment and why you would want to be with him and what is, like, going what is going through his mind while the incident is happening. There's all this stuff of, like, just having the information. And this is why reality TV turned so sensationalist, Mm -hmm. is because just seeing real life unfold with access to all the data is not actually interesting. What narrative does, what story does, is focus you in on the part that is going to give you some payoff in the end. Um, So not only does it have to be amped up from the beginning... When, when your producers and writers are... Why, are you, why do you have writers on a reality show? Right, Because yeah. things need to be judged. And then by the end of it, like if, even if you were to see... Even right out of the, the writing, uh, the editing, just on film, without mm-hmm. the soundtrack to it, you'd be... This is pretty dull. It's not until like if you listen to somebody does the composition for the, the, the sound organization... Mm-hmm and music to these things talk about like how their writing is just like like the amount of 
action being jabbed into your ears to hit with your eye. Yeah. To have to show you what happened in real life. But it's, also, it's, it's amazing kind of... in the editing room how much of that has to come through the screen. Otherwise, you're just watching images without any context. Yeah, but, yeah. Well, because what on. what good media is doing is like taking your brain by the hand and walking you through point by point mm. the idea that you want to convey. And like, because I would say there is a way to do that soundtracking, that that noise making to to distract from the fact that what you're watching isn't very good, right. but it seems compelling because you have these sound effects. But like something like our, our video, Shower, um, when you showed me the cut without the soundtrack, it was like, huh, is this what it is? <laughs> and then like once- I don't the, remember writing this boring yeah. and performing. Once the soundtrack was in place, it did feel like a more complete piece. And I don't think that's a trick. I don't think that's always oh, yeah. a trick. Is that but like the sound that you're processing or even when a, a director chooses not to have sound happening mm -hmm. in the background that's a specific choice because that's part of the experience of, of the yeah. media you're watching yeah I'm and so if it's missing then something is missing right it's it's basically being able to tell a good story uh, everyone likes to think that they can tell a good story until everyone sits around at the campfire and like people's trade stories and yeah. somebody is like so I uh, it, oh my god it was so amazing <laughs> so first I'm like here and they're like there and you're like well where are you know it, yeah yeah the good the good storyteller in every group is a, an obvious favorite for every group of friends that yeah they're like oh they're gonna be able to let him tell the story because he's good at it he's yeah and often if you pay close attention, they are embroidering those stories in yeah. some way. It's not, it's not documentary. Certainly. Um, because yeah. stories are better when they're faked from real life. Real life is pretty boring. The person that can't tell the story is just like the lovable dummy. The person yeah. that can tell the story and embellish is everyone's favorite. And yeah. the most annoying person is the person that sits next to them and goes like, actually, it really wasn't like that. They, yeah, they, they, yeah. This, this actually happened. Oh, is that really what you said? Yeah. <laughs> That you're, you're not even being honest about this. Like, well, I can tell you a boring story if you like. <laughs> um, so maybe, sound effects. Maybe that's a good uh, note to end on. Noodles to you.